I have magically teleported. We're going to continue to, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. We're just going to live our lives, man. spooky stuff yeah yes <laughs> we're closing out our for the culture series which has been a super fun series um but also emotional series mm-hmm. for sure yeah it's been a emotional time worth it definitely it's like one of those where it's like you're experiencing sadness and other emotions but you're like okay with it which isn't always the case. It's been nice because it's films that we definitely appreciated, uh, but I don't know if we would have like come across before. And so mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for um, this opportunity uh, to cover them. For true, man. Sorry, my cat is trying to get out. Okay, she got out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so... Um, For our last episode, we are going to be talking about the film Under the Shadow from 2016. Um, Definitely has a lot of really great reviews, and I enjoyed it. I found it spooky and also, like, politically charged, which is, like, our favorite thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was definitely, like, as our films have been saying something uh, and being, like, really true to its origins in terms of, like, the director and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, um, an educational opportunity for us to kind of get a glimpse into these other worlds and these other countries that we wouldn't usually experience. And Mm -hmm. definitely like this film specifically, I was like, Oh, I don't know a lot about this at all. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, it was like, it was nice to see similar with like in Pedagore mm-hmm. or even like Tigers Are Not Afraid, like um, in covering things that, you know, we didn't know and getting a not like an excuse to to learn about it. For sure. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to switch things up <laughs> this, this week and we're going to start with our film section and then on the tail end of this kind of dive into our facts section with Kat. Um, so let's talk about this film switch um, under the sh- <laughs> under the shadow from 2016 is about as a mother and daughter struggle to cope with the terrors of the post-revolution war-torn tehran of the 1980s a mysterious evil begins to haunt their home and is directed by babak anvari um which yeah it kind of popped up on some lists when i was looking for <laughs> films to fill the void um and it did not disappoint yeah. <laughs> to say the least um very kind of small set it really only exists in this one little area uh in even with what seems like a limited budget it still was pretty spooky mm-hmm. there's some jump scares in here so it's like scary um this is <laughs> uh Vak anvari's like premiere film it was like their first feature um and it 
has, you know, spooks and boogeymen and, and, you know, typical horror things, but at the heart, the horror of it really is um, the social setting of 1988 uh, in the midst of the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, actually, it's, you know, um, at the end of it, too. So it's mm -hmm. like, this has been going on for a very long time. There are, you know, social repercussions that are happening for the people who live there. And this is how it's affecting them, like very clearly calling it like under the shadow. Um, it's under the shadow of like, you know, this missile that's in their apartment that I'll talk about, but it's also under the shadow of the war itself mm -hmm. um, and, and the regime that um, has kind of found its hold within this society. Yeah. Um, so this film follows uh, Shide and how, who is a mother and wife, and she is struggling to kind of find her place and um, reconcile like her place in this world uh that is incredibly sexist and against her um like it, it starts as a, as a pretty slow burn we don't really get a lot of scares at first mm -hmm. um only with like a few um times where her daughter dorsa comes in like saying like oh there's something in my room i had a nightmare but there's nothing that's like jumping out at us we're just introduced to this society and the fears of it um by seeing uh, Shide, who is, you know, this independent woman who's looking to restart her uh, medical education to become a doctor. It was her dream um, or maybe her mother's dream. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, you know, is confronted with the truth of this regime that, you know, uh, won't allow her to do that, won't allow her to return to school because um, she was a part of like the resistance. And, you know, she even says like, oh, everyone was, <laughs> everyone was political back then. Or, um, and then also like, you know, explaining, oh, I just stepped away to raise my child, but now I'm going to come back. But she is swiftly denied that opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, where it takes place, so 1988 um, is the last year of the eight-year Iran-Iraq war. And there are characters throughout who are, you know, expressing how it's been never-ending and how it's impacting them. For Like, it feels like it's just always this. This is their reality. They're stuck in it. And it's hopeless. And it hurts. Um, and everyone's kind of trying to cope and... They're all kind of weird about it <laughs> as well. <laughs> coping it in their own unique ways. Yeah. Yeah. Some are very strange. Um, yeah. I, I feel like something I enjoyed about Shide is she's a very genuine character. Um, she has this like initial resentment that we find um, when she is frustrated about not being able to be a doctor. Like, being this independent woman who her mother had hopes and dreams for and she can't complete them by no fault of her own. Uh, she's fully capable of being, you know, a doctor. Mm -hmm. And her husband is a doctor because he's a man and didn't have to give up his career to raise their child. Um, and she feels cheated, mm -hmm. rightfully. Um, and at times is kind of, like, bratty about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, like, after that scene where she's kind of denied and she kind of walks through, we get this landscape and she comes home and she removes the hijab and then just kind of falls back into her role as mother and wife. And she's very bitter and spiteful about it. And I felt 
so much like she rightfully deserved to feel bitter and spiteful about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though like there are times when we're like screaming at her um, as audience to like go or to, to move or to do things. It, it, I totally understand just being human and being upset Mm -hmm. um, by what the world's giving you. mm -hmm. And not like having like feeling like lots of humans just like aren't going to be the emotionless rationale kind of, like she was very human in her reaction like and i thought that was like really great i agree with you that like she was just being real like she didn't she wasn't like i shouldn't be doing this because war or because bombs like this is just human emotion and i'm going to feel what i feel because this is and honestly like i have definitely more empathy i would say after learning a little bit about like the protesting end which i'll get into in the facts section but it was very true everyone was like millions Mm -hmm of people were protesting and that was like when they were younger like it was a lot of youth-led protests so the fact when she says everyone was doing that it was very true so like to make that the reason why was super petty and like it was it was definitely like felt after doing my research like more of a blanket like that's the reason but it's really because we just don't want want you to because you're a lady like please go home Mm -hmm. um yeah so her frustration is definitely like very valid yeah, and I think for like an American viewing, it for me it was like this is what happens when you're on the when your side loses, mm-hmm. right? Like we're you know we're out there fighting as well, and we have our own battles, but nothing compared to this, and nothing compared to the threat of what those protesters were facing, um, and like this is an existence where um, their their side lost. And mm-hmm. now they have to kind of live with the new worlds that this regime has created um, and pretends like they didn't lose or not yeah. pretend that they didn't lose, but like accept that they lost. Mm-hmm. And that's like like a weird it's, it's like hard to kind of visualize that and understand that. And when you do, when you really like look at it that way, it's like, oh, OK, uh, yeah. <laughs> I get why she's upset. Like this is unfair and upsetting. Um This film has been compared in almost like all of the articles that we found uh, to Jennifer Kent's Babadook, which we covered in our mental illness episode with our guest Marina. Um, And we were super excited about it. It was such an honest portrayal of grief. um, And it showed a similar kind of like struggling character, a struggling mom um, who was also very vulnerable and honest. Uh, So similar to to Babadook under this under the shadow is about a mother who is confronting depression, guilt, and pain as it's manifesting as a supernatural being that is trying to, you know, separate her from her child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, for in, the, in you know, with the Babadook, it's Babadook, <laughs> that's a monster. For Shide, uh, the supernatural haunts are are jinns that have found themselves um, having sailed on the wind, which is the lore mm-hmm. uh into their apartment building by way of a dud missile that crashes into it and is super jarring what a time how yeah. everyone reacts to that they just kind of like remove it and put a tarp there yeah so much like the the whole city right is just like we're just putting a band-aid on this bigger issue and it's gonna be infected um and it's gonna continue to deteriorate because we're not actually fixing the problem mm-hmm. we're just covering it up um 
But what I found was really interesting was that one of her specific specters and, and haunts is actually just this, like, floating burka. Yeah. And it's, like, always taunting her. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, that, it's it's pretty on the nose. But also um, really allows you to understand that this is, like, in her head um, and that she is kind of struggling with the reality of the situation and in her own kind of reasoning, uh, trying to figure out, like, who she is and, and how to keep going yeah. despite like the limitations. And so in an article I found on the AV club titled under the shadow is a Babadook for war torn Iran by AA Dowd. Uh, they remark on how poignant it is to have a character in a mo- horror movie that actually wants to leave the haunted house uh, only to be halted by real life forces in an attempt to flee. Um, so they say there's a moment in under the shadow where the heroine does something that people in haunted house movies n- almost never do. She grabs her child and bolts straight out the door. Trouble is, this young mother lives in Tehran circa 1988, and in her instinctive dash for safety, she fails to cover her head with a hijab. Um, And when... (laughs) Like, watching that scene, so, like, she is finally fed up with the horrors. Like, she is really losing it. Um, And so she grabs Dorsa, her daughter, and runs through the city. And I remember when we were watching it, Kat remarked, she's not wearing any shoes. Like, to us, we were just like, wow, she's just that desperate. She's, like, running barefoot through this war-torn city and yeah. just trying to to get out. And when we see authorities or we see people, there was, like, a moment where I had this, like, blip of hope where I was like, oh, okay, someone's going to help. Uh, and, you know, like, oh, these men are obviously going to see that this woman is distressed and, you know, things are going on and maybe they'll, like, encourage her to leave or f- help in any way because there's a literal war happening right now yeah. uh and instead she is arrested and lectured in this dark and dingy jail cell they give her a hijab and they they just go on this whole lecture of, of how she's being indecent uh and that it's a crime and, and she really needs to rethink you know her role in society and what her obligation is as a woman in society um in the midst of like there like a missile is in her apartment you know like what yeah <laughs> and it to me it was like a moment as a like an american woman viewer uh to really realize my ignorance and in the fact that like i didn't even think about it until it was happening and i was like oh yeah oh no, that's really Yikes. real. The only reason I knew is because I had read the article before we watched, which I usually don't do. But uh, so I ended up spoiling like a decent amount of it for myself. But yeah, no, it's definitely very real. Like it's that is like, I guess, like from an American, like Western perspective, where that is not like your bodies are police, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not like our first thought. Yeah. And it was it was just like kind of eye opening to to see how to fully understand how lonely that she must feel. Um, And like because up until that moment, you are frustrated with her as a viewer. Like you feel like you're being unreasonable. Why don't you leave? Mm -hmm. Um, Like things are going haywire. You're just being selfish. Um, You are acting out and like, I'm sorry, you're mad, but your daughter is upset and you need to be a better mother. Like we were 
essentially kind of putting similar thoughts onto her as yeah. viewers, as the society was. Um, and to see her like finally trying to, to just get out and to, to be confronted um, with that, that it, it, that it's, it's structural, right. That it's mm -hmm. like, it's fully around them. Um, and it made so much sense, like her frustration, like it really helped me understand and see her. And I really enjoyed her character. Yeah. Um, you know, even in the beginning when she's lashing out at her husband, like, I kind of like, it, it was sucky to say, like, she, she, I don't think she regrets having her child. Um, but she regretted that it was looked on to her to be the person who has to give up their dreams to raise her. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was like the issue. It wasn't like, you know, I don't want to do it. It's like, why isn't it even thought of that you should do it? Yeah, um, like where we should husband. be a team in this, not just me doing it. Like, and you get to go do what you do, and I have to stay here, and that sucks. Yeah. It should be like we're yeah. both taking care of our kid that we decided to have together. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, yeah, that it's like a decision. Like, it never was a decision for her. It was expected, and so she just had to do it. And even so, like, there's, like, she is – she has this kind of complicated relationship with her husband where they clearly love each other and they've been together for a long time. Um, and at some point he probably did support her dreams and had these ideas. And he just understands that the state of the world right now isn't that way. He also had like a line where he kind of scolds her for having been political um, and is, you know, essentially like, well, you wanted to do that back then. I told you not to. Um, and is just like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. Because those things weren't going to affect you. And look, look what happened, even though we were fighting. Yeah. Like, we knew it was going to be bad, and it was. And it is, and now I have to live with that. And, like, you scolding me for it is not helping. Yeah. Um, Dorsa, their daughter, also, like, clearly has a closer relationship with the father. Like, in the beginning, she calls out to dad yeah. when she has a nightmare. Um, and it isn't until dad is actually out of the picture and called away so that he can um, serve as a as a doctor in the, the war effort that she calls out to her mother at all. Like, yeah. there, there's this separation even though she's there. Um, and I do feel kind of like they might hold Dorsa a little responsible for, like, not having her dreams. But again, I think it's a bigger issue than that yeah. um and i i feel like you know shide is very uh bratty <laughs> at times yeah. and and snarky and frustrated and incredibly human um and i think similar to amelia and babajuk she is a human first and a mother second yeah you know she is like herself and then she is also a mother which is like in film and media like, when we see mothers, they have to be the mother or they're bad. Like, yeah. you're a bad mother if that's not your entire life. Like, if that's not your whole existence, you've transformed. You no longer exist as a woman. You're just a mom. Yeah. Um, Which is a very so, unfair expectation to put on a human being. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and and that's, like, I think the the expectation of this, like, perfect mother or, like, an obligated mother to kind of just put her own selfish desires or just desires, not even selfish, just literally her desires aside to just be the mom figure is, like, the heart of the problem and, and like, at the, you know, the crux of this film. Because to me, it's like, why can't Amelia and she, she they be frustrated? 
Yeah. Why can't they be sad that they lost opportunities? Why can't they mourn the loss of things like either dreams or their husband or what have you? Like, we're not allowing these women to fully feel and to accept their reality. Yeah. Yeah, I think the strongest piece of this film is the imperfection of Shide. Um, mm-hmm. To see a woman who is fraying at the edges, who becomes unreliable in her like perception of reality and who is like fighting back despite Mm -hmm. that and is you know is trying to be a good mom at the end of the day because she is a mother and her driving force is the survival of her daughter ultimately Mm -hmm. um like she's constantly running to her they're like you know hiding out in the 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 basement because of all the bomb drills and such um she is you know again running through the streets barefoot trying to get this kid uh she even confronts like neighbors at one point about like the stories that are being told to her daughter and spooking her mm-hmm. um you know and is it's begging her daughter to just please forget the doll so we can go mm-hmm. we have to get out of here but in even still accepting that that was keeping her daughter like she could have very easily just took the kid Mm -hmm. and forgot about the doll but she didn't she kept looking for the doll um i probably would have been looking way sooner than that but (laughs) she was you know because i mean you're a parent right it's Mm -hmm. just like it's just a doll right um but still understanding that it was more than just a doll to dorsa and so she knew that it she needed it in order to to proceed in that uh dorsa was kind of dealing with the neglect or not even neglect just like the misunderstandings of her mother and kind of feeling inadequate to her mother um in this way and so she had to kind of confront that first in order to be able to escape um and when dorsa eventually does confront her and like for honestly being kind of awful to her uh she you know, uh, accuses her of stealing the doll to begin with. And she just very honestly says, I might have, I do not know. Uh, And like really just acknowledges that she is losing the plot and is kind of unreliable and unsure of what's happening in her life Mm -hmm. and is, has this very vulnerable and honest moment that adults don't always give themselves when talking to, to young people and like, especially your child who's supposed to see you as like this God, (laughs) like parents are supposed to know everything. And she's very much as like, no, I am not perfect. But despite that, I love you. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect and save you because that is my job. And yeah. like, and, 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 and I think that was such a great moment to have in a film like this um, to show how, how much of a mother she really is at the end of the day, because she was. Yeah. Um, and even still, like being a woman first kind of thing, she really was working to protect her. Um, and I, and, you know, we don't, like for her to be able to be honest and like the fact that she is a real mother who can make mistakes, that's not a, a thing that our heroines in films are usually afforded. Um, yeah. They have to like uphold this very specific vision. And so to have someone who's just like got ups and downs being the person that we're following was really refreshing. Um, and later finding, you know, that the djinn ultimately doesn't have any power over her because it took what it perceived was her 
prized possession, which is a, a medical book with the letter from her mom inside. Um, but her real prized possession is Dorsa. And so it's yeah. like, ultimately, you cannot have any power over me because those are just things. This is my kid. That's what it is. Um, yeah. And uh, in that same article from AV Club, a dad goes on to say, the threat isn't just to the life of a mother, but to the future of her child who might be swallowed whole by the repressive mores of her culture, the alternative parent hoping to raise her. And so I feel like Shide finally comes to terms with the loss of her dreams and instead, like her mother did for her, wants to push the opportunity for dreams onto Dorsa. And the only way yeah. they're going to do that is if they survive. Um and so instead of running away from the djinn, uh, and, uh, like, they're not just running away from the djinn. Yeah. Right? They're running away from the expectations and limits uh, thrust upon them by the regime that were intent on making them victims and intent on keeping them contained and, and feeling lost. So at the end of the day, they have each other, and really survival is the, the ultimate goal. Um yeah, and I, I would yeah. say, like, you get this very much like she's fighting. She's not just, like, taking it sitting down, you know what I mean? And I remember I actually have a quote that I didn't think I'd be able to fit in my section, but works perfectly for right now, um, from the director, uh, is that there's, like, a misconception about Iranian women. People think of them as oppressed, ready to be victimized, but Iranian women always fight back. There are so many restrictions in Iranian society, but they never sit back and just accept them. Shide was inspired by my mother, the other woman I knew I, when I was growing up. Uh, her strength is a tribute to them. So, like, the character is doing that for very real reasons, and, like, she was not taking that standing down because she's a person, too. Um, yeah, it was good. It was a good film. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she definitely was just like, um, he, like, it, it was still temporary, right? Like, it seems yeah. like a never ending war, but it really is temporary. Like, the, the whims of, of society and politics are going to change. So, at the end of the day, I'm just going to keep going and, you know, instilling the same power that I have into my daughter um, in hope that she can kind of break, break free of it. For sure. I can't believe this so was their first film. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, their first feature. That's amazing. Like, very well done, especially for first mm -hmm. film. They also did um, Wounds mm. uh, with D Dakota Johnson and Army Hammer. And I didn't love that one. <laughs> Army <laughs> so Hammer is the canceled man. Yeah, he's super yeah. canceled. Yeah. Uh, like, gross. Um <laughs> in that film he i get it because he was practically playing himself which is trash <laughs> so it's kind of, it's a weird thing for you to go from something like this to that which was like kind of deflated we probably will never cover wounds because it's just not it's just nothing there nothing it's yeah. disappointing um but cat why don't you take us over to the history corner let's talk about facts so i have a little bit of two things for you friends uh we're going to talk a little bit about like the director's influence and how it shaped this film uh but then also like what led to the characters being portrayed this way why is his what is history um because i'll be real this happened before i was born so not to like age myself but I was like, I don't know this stuff. I only have what 
gross American media has portrayed it as and super mm-hmm. different. <laughs> so yep. basically, as we've seen with our films, Babak Anavari made this for a reason, you know. Uh, an inter- interview with Den of Geek titled Babak Anavari Interview Under the Shadow Horror Statham, written by Sarah Dobbs. He recounts his life and what helped inspire this film. So he grew up in Iran and lived there until he was about 18 or 19 years old. The Iraq-Iran war in the film is centered around what happened when he was still a child, similar to the age of Dorsa from the film. And another mm-hmm. article from The Guardian, Terror in Tehran, Under the Shadow in Politics and Horror, written by Tom Seymour. He continues to recount his further similarities to the child in the film Dorsa. His experience, like Dorsa, included a father working as a doctor on the front line, leaving him and his brother in the care of their young mother, Far- Farzana. Uh, he recounts often feeling afraid and that this was something passed down to him from his mother, um, as well as like this will, this ability to like fight those fears uh caused by time spent in basements as sirens warmed of incoming bomb threats uh in the article he says the war was largely invisible to us because Turan wasn't the front line we were children and we didn't really know what was happening but i remember sirens wailing and running to my neighbors into the basement of an apartment block i remember the arguments and rumors that would circulate down there hearing these distant blasts of iraqi missiles so we kind of see that even in the intro of the film when she's in the office with the uh hospital people what is i don't know for school what are they called Mm. professors yeah (laughs) deans the people who make the decisions um, of the bombs going on in the background i remember gabe you even commented you're like wow that's just like casual bomb just like yeah they kind of like look out the window still have conversation (laughs) but bomb is happening (laughs) um so yeah this like kind of forced normalcy of it like accepting that this is something that is commonplace that these drills are uh things that like are just what you're doing for safety um and it kind of it's always scary but i feel like there's becomes this kind of like numbness to it that like you're getting used to it so you can continue to have a conversation seeing that in the background because you kind of have to uh, mm-hmm. in order to just keep going. Uh, and in the opening scenes of Under the Shadow, we kind of get a clear understanding of that because there's actual archival footage of bombs dropping, people scattering the streets of Turan, and kind of these uh, what the article described as a dramatized evocations of Anavari's earliest memories. Um for anyone who's like me and didn't know all the details of the Iraq-Iran War in 1980, the revolution preluding it and all of that, I'll give you some background. It's a little, the revolution part previously, it's a lot. So I'm just going to, like, there's a lot that happens. Um, Iran apparently is very used to, like, changing in transitional leadership, political views. Like, a lot of drastic things happened over and over again in different directions. So that kind of is like, I feel like that really makes sense in terms of the end feeling of like, this is temporary. Like this is a something that we're going to move past and a different thing will exist. Mm. Um, because that's something that was very much happening in Iran from like the early 1900s to like when the film was made. Um so I fil- pulled a lot of this information from Britannica, a titled Iranian Revolution, written by Janet Afray. Uh, essentially, the re- revolution came after many years of government upheaval, created ma- and manipulated, surprise, by the UK, Russia, and the US. Hmm. 
Each government Classic. group stirred the pot in different directions and caused different leaders to be exiled. And, uh, and in one case, the CIA, UK intelligence agencies joined together to stage a coup. No. Um, this is to say that US it made history. sense. Yeah, you know, fun. Uh, revolution of 1979 took place, that there's a long history of protesting and like transitioning leadership. Um the 1979 revolution, which brought together Iranians across many different social groups, has its roots in Iran's long history. These groups included clergy, landowners, intellectuals, and merchants that had previously come together in the Constitutional Revolution of 1905 to 11. So there's a lot of like transitioning leadership uh, in the Britannica write up of it. It seemed like there were like different leaders who were exiled, others who they're like the sun took over. There was like a different group of people kind of shifting the development of Rand in different directions um, and lots of protesting. Lots. Mm. Um, so to prelude this, Muhammad Reza Saha, who launched the White Revolution, which was an aggressive push towards modernization and westernization, um, they kind of upended the previous rural society based in like agriculture, farmers, landowners and like wealthy clerics uh, and disrupted the rural economies and led to like rapid urbanization and westernization like over the span of one generation um and basically started to like really push western ideals of democracy and various human rights issues um the results basically initially benefited the economy but those much like we see in any sort of capitalism time i don't know if exactly it was capitalism but they basically had inequity in terms of wealth distribution um, and there was also a big push against previous social norms shifting towards a more Western view. So this kind of created a lot of conflict with more religiously conservative people. So the opposition grew against his policies in the 1970s as basically the Western influence and in oil demands. So the U.S., U.K., uh, mm -hmm. demands for Oil and things like that basically made for a boom in oil pr prices and inflation that made the buying power of Iran kind of shift and shifted their standard of living. So this economic situation, coupled with a socio-political repression by Shah's regime, grew in the 1970s because he started to have opposition to his rule. And he's basically like, I don't like this. We're going to start censoring things. We're going to start surveilling people, harassing them, deten detaining people and torturing them if they are protesting my regime. And mm -hmm. I guess that's kind of where I started to see where in the film, Shide has the tapes and mm -hmm. the VCR and... I remember gave you a comment to the, like, it was weird that it was illegal. Like yeah. she has this VCR and that's illegal. Um, that started to take root under Shah's regime because there was a lot of censorship and he was trying to like really control the information that was getting in and out so that less people would oppose him. Um, the environment basically caused groups to align themselves against Saha with more conservatively religious and anti-Western groups forming. This was also a quick dramatic shift in Iran from traditional conservative and rural society to one that was vastly industrial, modern, and urban. Um, 
This shift is what spurred the revolution. And in 1978, thousands of young religious school students took the streets in protest. This was accompanied by rural Iranian youth who began protesting the Shah regime's excesses. So uh, the wealth that was not evenly distributed. Uh, mm -hmm. The Saha at the time had cancer and was surprised by the seemingly sudden uprising in that he had had things kind of under control for a minute. Um mm. So he was like, what's happening? I have a lot going on. I'm not really equipped to <laughs> deal with this right now. So we just kind of need to, like, fix this situation. Basically, he was very surprised, but he considered the protests in an international conspiracy, which kind of makes sense since the U.S. and U.K. did have a lot of involvement um, in kind of, like, behind the scenes secretly pulling strings. So, like, him being paranoid that the U.S. and the U.K. were intervening in his deals make sense. It's not a far stretch. Um, and the government responded very violently to protests, which only fueled the flame more, um, uniting the secular left and the religious groups together in a revolutionary rallying cry of uh, God is great. And martial law was eventually declared. Troops opened fire on demonstrators in Tehran. And they Jeez. that just kind of like really fueled, fueled this like martyrdom of like, this is something we need to be fighting for. Um, there was a previously exiled leader named, sorry, Komeni, Komeni, I think. He coordinated further opposition demanding uh, Saha's abdication. And basically Saha left because he's going through a lot, I guess. Uh, and he went on vacation in quotes. But really, <laughs> it seemed like he fled um, and he put a temporary leader in place. But... Khomeini basically took his chance and crowds in excess of 1 million demonstrated in Tehran and resulted in Iran's armed forces declaring neutrality, ousting the Sahat regime. So this change in regime resulted in a swift shift back to conservative social values. The Family Protection Act, which previously guaranteed certain rights to married women, was voided. Um, Mosque-based revolutionary bands known as committees patrolled the streets and enforced Islamic codes of dress and behavior, as well as quelled any revolutionary ideals. Uh, this is why in the film, protesting seemed so like as the reason why she couldn't get into middle school. But so many people were protesting, like millions of millions upon people were protesting. So like this was something that was true for a lot of people. Hello, uh, slight technical difficulties, but we will finish this episode. Um, so Kat, take it away. <laughs> yes, I have magically teleported. We're going to continue to, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. We're just going to live our lives, man. Um, so basically what I was talking about is uh, the shift from the Family Protection Act, which guaranteed certain rights to married women, um, was basically avoided. And this rapid shift back from the previous like uh, where we had like this Western influence and modernization and urban shift from rural, uh, we're kind of shifting exactly back once uh, I believe his name is Kulaman or Kulamani, uh, Kamani basically uh, took over and this religious regime kind of ensued. Uh, and what we see is this kind of anti-Western sentiment that manifested over this time turned into like this more, I guess, slightly radicalized uh, in terms of really anti-Western taking hostages of U.S. embassy people, kind of like really pushing out this Western influence uh, 
that had previously kind of run rampant. Um, and in this time, this is where the Iraq-Iran war kind of comes in between 1980 and 1988. Um, in this, that the rulers were basically like, this is the perfect opportunity. There is this clear transitional period taking place there's this uh motivation to basically take advantage of this like uneven footing that is taking place in iran so open warfare began to take place on september 22nd 1980 um where saddam hussein was basically like we need to get back this land uh we are kind of sharing this joint border uh and there, it kept going until we saw the ceasefire in 1988. So we kind of have this uh, lead into this because of the oil situation that was taking place. And that's what we kind of get to when uh, we're in the film is this kind of seize of power from Saddam Hussein or attempt at seize of power um, that was really made possible by all these years of kind of revolutionary change throughout Iran. Um, and I think like that was shown very well in the film. It's definitely something like we, I know I personally did not have a, not a lot of knowledge on, but uh, definitely like was very obvious in the film and that like, this is something that has been taking place for just a really long time. There's a long history at play um, that really made all of this possible. Um, and I think it would be really rude to not recognize the role the United States and the UK and other like Western powers had in kind of creating this opening for Saddam Hussein. Um, and also the shift back to more religious conservatism in terms of like really take like giving, if you sit, argue like similar to how in Germany we had the Weimar Republic that shifted women more into education, into jobs and stuff like that. And then the shift very quickly backwards to more conservatism in Germany is very similar in terms of the shortness amount of time where the shift into Westernization and like women's rights and like opportunities for uh, like women in terms of marriage laws and stuff like that that gave them a little bit more wiggle room and then a swift change back um so it's very interesting and i definitely you definitely get to see it in the film and Tehran specifically being kind of like it was not on the front lines but it was on the front lines of a lot of the protesting that previously took place and kind of set up the environment that was able to like have this war um yeah yeah, I it kind of makes me think of when we covered um, uh, like the population control episode and we talked about China and just how their one child policy, but how like there was that time where they tried to modernize too quickly and like completely like get rid of the the rural way that they were doing things and so there became a scarcity problem um, and there was just like it was just too quick trying to switch over so then it, it was very easy for the next regime to be like see how bad that was like you don't want that again follow our rules look what you know your immorality does um yeah and so it's so easy for them to take back power um when you just kind of 
when it falls apart that first time, and it's not to say that, you know, socialism or the ways that they wanted to do things were wrong. It's just like they didn't give themselves enough time um, or it was too hasty. And so then it, yeah. it left a gap like a, for people to just like hop in. For sure. And and honestly, and like looking at it, it was a lot of the upheaval allowed for groups who wouldn't generally align themselves together to do that. Um, and that there was like this general sense of like, we just need to get this guy out of power without necessarily like a set plan for afterwards. Yeah. Like it was kind of like, yes, revolution. This needs to happen. This guy is taking the money and distri- distributing it poorly. A lot of people who had like felt really fr- specifically like people rurally who like had felt like they had been left behind um, in this new kind of regime banded together with people that they wouldn't have necessarily banded together. And then it shifted really largely towards like a religious conservatism, which is something that is honestly seen throughout a lot of societies, uh, across like culturally across cultures um as you said china germany there's probably other instances that like you have this shift into modernization and if it's not done like with the will of the people who live there you know what i mean if it's something that's kind of like stir the pot see what we can kind of get going on or if it's like just done too quickly it uh you'll get like this like little glimpse of what it would be like if it was one way and then a stark shift backwards. Um, which I mean, arguably for some situations isn't necessarily the worst. Like there are lots of instances where it was the worst, um, where like really awful things were a result of it. But if you think of like a swift shift into like radicalized government or like something like that, there can be a shift back. And I think that's something you see a lot in the film in like this transitional period that like, there's going to be something different happening. There's like not this permanence. So it kind of eliminates some of the fear associated with it. Like this is just something we have to put up with right now. Mm-hmm. And as long as we keep fighting, we'll be able to get it back to what we want it to be. Um, and I think that like gives some power, I guess, to the people, you know, it's definitely really interesting and i did not know all of the like from 1910 to 1970 there was a lot that happened um that i don't think is like generally just taught to everybody um and i recommend people do their own research i got this mostly from britannica that's not the only source that exists for this information so definitely do a few google searches see what you can find if you have access to i guess what they say like uh the paywall behind uh Hmm peer-reviewed articles and other things uh it is classist so if you have access to those things go for it uh because there's probably lots more information that i was not able to gain access to um yeah yeah it's very interesting definitely you know like a a trend of america to withhold information um about how often in that time period too because if you're thinking like 1970s that's similar to what was happening in guatemala like leading up to Mm -hmm. when america was like they're doing good things over there (laughs) you know like america was just hands everywhere you know destabilizing countries um definitely with specific um needs in mind uh just thinking of you know the oil crisis that they had there um and it's sad because we as americans kind of block that out uh, or transform that narrative and don't take mm-hmm. responsibility. Uh, or, you know, uh, the other film that we were going to cover 
um, and just kind of put on hold for the future is um, Bong Joon-ho's uh, The Host, which is a critique on like weapons of mass destruction and like how mm-hmm. America, um, how, one, how there's a certain fascination with America and Western culture, um, but also like with this, like we tell you that there's weapons of mass destruction and that's enough of an excuse for us to hurt you um, yeah, because you were bad. And for some reason, we get to do something about that. Um, yeah, like they're the decider of morality or what even it like morality is definitely subjective and not objective or like it really depends on what the culture is and where who people are. And one group does not have the authority to decide what is right for other people, especially since they don't live there or know or like mm-hmm. have any grasp. And what they do is they go in and then they just mess everything up. And then are like, what? They're upset about that later? We have second war now? Now we have to have long war? What? They're bad guys? We didn't do nothing? Yeah, we, we had no no, no stakes in that there. We, we weren't the ones staging coups. Not this guy. What? In Iran, in Africa, <laughs> terrorism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They're the terrorists, Terror. right? Yeah, they're the terrorists. Um, um, yeah, yeah. And then you see, as you said, like in media, like a lot of shifts in how like people from there are portrayed in media to villainize them and like create this like really kind of untouchable like this whole like idea that they are so different that it cannot be like you should just be afraid we have Mm -hmm. to fight this war we have to intervene like the united states has to be doing these things when they definitely don't yeah um and honestly most of the time when they do those things it causes a lot of trouble um but yeah, mm-hmm. I, the what is it? We, this we mentioned it in a different episode. It was like this, like kind of cultural amnesia, mm-hmm. uh, and Vampire versus the Bronx, and that like America is very prone to that. Um, that we have this like amnesia of things that don't shine brightly on us, like things that like wouldn't maybe make us question our government and view things that they're doing as negative. Um, it's kind of collective amnesia about kind of the roles that. America has played and the UK and other European Western countries has played in places that they had no business being. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And definitely like a villainization of the people from those places to validate the way that we treat them. Like even thinking about like spiral, right? Like at the end of spiral Mm -hmm. with it teasing the Muslim family uh, because that was the next hated group. Right. And we're thinking of today with, you know, our, um, any like Asian Americans who are facing discrimination um, mm-hmm. because of the virus. And so it's like, we always got somebody you hate and honestly, it's probably our fault. <laughs> like every yeah. time it's, it's honestly probably our fault. Um, yeah. I think this is a really great uh, kind of sh- glimpse into that. I th- love hearing about um, his influence and the fact that this was a direct, you know, kind of vision of what his history was like that he himself had been a child during this time and remembers you know hiding out in those bunkers or in the basements and and hearing the dismissal of what was happening outside and being young and not understanding and then you know also admiring uh the strong women in his life who are continuing to fight despite like an entire society that's against them yeah, and actually the actress in it who played Shide, 
also like this was one of the first times they like had to start to cope with their experience because they had also grew up in Iran during this time and like had to like kind of learn how to really channel that experience into the role. And uh, I remember in the same article that had the interview with uh, Babak Anavari uh, quoted her as well saying like she had a similar experience and it was like really hard initially to act out this scenario because it was something she was familiar with. And I'm sure it was, it's a, it's a form of, you know, uh, kind of coping with that trauma too yeah. and like coming to terms with it like to to act it out and not have a resolution um i, I remember watching it and i said to you cat that it reminded me of that um like psa about the syrian refugee girl and it shows her like when the world was like normal and she's like has her birthday and it's all from uh-huh. like her point of view like it's a video in front of her um and so she's like got her birthday cake but then time is moving and so then there's bombs and she's progressively getting dirty and traumatized and like running and in terror and then it's like this you know it, it was a, a way to kind of like ask people to have basic decency and understand that the Syrian refugees needed a place to escape to and that we shouldn't be treating them like criminals. Um, and it's sad that something like that has to exist just to garner sympathy. Like we can't just yeah. have that. Um, and it made me think of that for Dorsa, like imagining like, you know, cause so much of it is, is Shide's story. Um, and Dorsa just kind of trying to deal. Um, yeah. and I think it was like their relationship and, kind of how they were just dealing with each other were was very honest. Yeah. It's hard to experience trauma as an adult while simultaneously trying to like make everything okay. Like make it not as traumatizing for the child. Mm-hmm. And I think there was like that real honest, like this is like similar in like how we saw in Bobadick Lurk. She was not having a good time in that film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was really struggling and she was like, tra- but like, and her child like needed her in a very, aggressive way i would say that like Mm -hmm. is very real in situations where traumatic events are taking place so i'd say like that was very well portrayed and like is very real and i think um and like reading about like the history of everything that's happening uh happened and is happening uh it basically kind of shows that there should be empathy for people if they don't already exist in this like they shouldn't have to be portrayed as like so far gone or radicalized, whatever. Like lots of people just are existing and then mm-hmm. their world changes suddenly. And we should be able to have sympathy for people that didn't live like we did before it happened. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are different cultures and things and people should just like care about other humans no matter what. Like there shouldn't be there shouldn't be like a reason you have to justify caring about somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, you know, I hope to see more heroines like Shide that are just, just being real and just you yeah. know, being honest about their struggles and are, you know, upset. Like, let, yeah. let, let's be upset. Like, she's every right to be upset um, and to act irrationally sometimes. Like, that, we're just human. We're going to do that. We're going to act out. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, and it's refreshing to see. Um, but yeah, to, in lieu of, of of rating it because we just because <laughs> we're tech difficulties, I want to make sure you know we get all our thoughts out. Um, 
highly recommend Under the Shadow. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed our For the Culture series and that, you know, you learned something, you got something out of it. Um, you can, you know, follow us, subscribe, like, drop us a comment. Um, keep your eyes peeled. We have a, you know, a, a um, contest coming up. So that you can get some cool goodies. Some <laughs> stuff. Yeah. By supporting us because we really need it. Um, and, you know, next month we have some fun things scheduled <laughs> to come up. Um, and also, like, still traumatizing. I was very mad that I was like, I'm still upset. I thought we were having fun. <laughs> yeah. This was supposed to be a fun time. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, you'll see with us. Uh, we'll have some guests next month. And it'll be you know, exciting. Um, so, yeah. Don't get married. They'll eat your kids. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, the gym will eat your kids. Bye. Yeah, bye.